Well, as always, I want to thank all of those who have helped to put our worship service together for our liturgist this morning, who is Catherine Ebers, for our special music from Brandon Bull, um, for all of those who participated and uh, came to our block party, which you saw some of the pictures in our children's time, um, for all of the volunteers or for those who came to bring folks or to just enjoy. Thank you so much. Um, and to Gary Brubaker and our praise team for always providing such wonderful music leadership for us. Um, and for those who've been assisting in our in-person worship services, thank you. If there's a way that you'd like to serve as a liturgist or special music or sharing a testimony um, or as a greeter or an usher, we would love to have you. So feel free to contact the church office for ways that you are, um, what we're able to help you serve as well. So we have just a couple of weeks left in this series um, on the weird stories of the Bible or the unusual stories of the Bible. Um, and we know that the Bible is full of stories, some that we know really well and some that we just don't. Um, so we've been spending a few weeks looking at some of these stories that we may not be as familiar with or know just a little bit about. And some of them are just weird. Some of them have been concerning and some we may wonder what has to do with anything. So we've talked about Lot's wife, Elisha and the bears, Balaam and the donkey. Today we're going to talk about Jesus cursing the fig tree. And then next week we'll close out the series with talking about Eutychus. So today, Jesus cursing the fig tree. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's been a few years ago, um, but a few years ago, I stumbled upon an opportunity to have lunch with an Amish family. Um, it was a program offered by um, one of those like tourism groups to help encourage more knowledge about Amish families. And so um, I thought, you know what, this sounds like a whole lot of fun. Um, and so I signed up to go. Um, <clears throat> what I found out is that this is mostly offered to groups, not to individuals. So I was the only one there that didn't know anybody else in the group. Um, so the rest of the group all knew each other, and I was just this, like, singleton hanging out with them, I guess. Um, <clears throat> so, but it was still, it was, a, it was a really interesting experience, and it was a great meal. I mean, they had fried chicken and mashed potatoes and vegetables and homemade breads and jams and jellies and homemade pies and cookies and salads and... Okay, so it was delicious, right? Um, it was also really interesting. Um, and the home that we that we had lunch at and that was there as kind of the education part, um, they had actually had a lot of engagement with people outside of the Amish community um, as one of their sons, uh, probably about five or 10 years before this, had had a farming accident um, and had broken every single bone in his body. And so this received national news attention. Um, so they had reporters from national news in their community and in their home for weeks. Um, I think at one point the patriarch of the home said, yeah, Barbara Walters sat right there and I had something with Diane Sawyer. I don't know who these people are, but other people are impressed when I drop their names. Um, so they had had lots of um, opportunities for conversation and answering questions about um, their lifestyle and, and what, what it means to be Amish. And so um, 
as we were sitting waiting for food and the rest of the group is having conversation, um, and then the group that I was sitting closest to, like the uh, a few a few folks, they started having like this whispered conversation, like and like pointing around, and um, and so I kind of you know leaned a little closer, and one of them said, "You know what? If you count the number of blue curtains that they have." that's how many daughters that they have married. And then if you count the number of white curtains, then that's the number of daughters that they don't yet have married. So the blue curtains symbolize the married daughters and the white curtains symbolize the non-married daughters. That's the truth. And so I kind of was looking around, I was like, Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Well, then um, the patriarch comes over um, and he says, what you guys talking about? Um, and so they said, ah, well, we know how many daughters you have that are married and how many that are not. And he said, you do? How? And they said, because we counted the blue curtains and the white curtains. And he looked around and he went, hmm, well, that's interesting. Um, actually, we just like blue and white curtains. And so the group was like, oh. So then a little bit later, um, again, the group kind of looked over in the kitchen and they said, oh, look, everyone in the kitchen is not wearing their shoes because they're not allowed to wear their shoes, because the men don't want them to run away or to work too fast. So they're not allowed to wear shoes in the kitchen. Um, and I was like, that seems like a weird rule. Um, but they said it with confidence. So I was like, maybe that's the truth. Well, then the patriarch comes over again. He's like, what are you guys talking about? He seemed to have like this you know, I guess, sixth sense of, of, of when things were being shared. Um, and so he said, what are you guys talking about? And um, they said, uh, well, we know that they aren't wearing shoes when they're working in the kitchen because they can't because you don't want them to. And he looked over in the kitchen and kind of looked around. He said, hmm, well, that's interesting. Do you wear shoes in your house? And they stopped and they went, well, no, we don't wear shoes in our house. And he goes, yeah, sometimes we don't either. Sometimes they just don't want to wear their shoes inside. <clears throat> now, sometimes when, we, when things don't make sense or when we just don't know about something, we sort of make up these stories, um, whether they're in our head or um, sometimes we look at mundane details and we make more about them than they are. So suddenly blue curtains can turn into a narrative about marriage and how many daughters there might be that are married or not married, which may not be true. Or assumptions about someone's culture because what we might think or have heard peripherally, uh, you won't allow them to wear shoes. Well, no, that's actually not true because sometimes blue curtains are just blue curtains and sometimes no shoes are just no shoes. Now, sometimes that happens with some of these stories from the Bible too. Sometimes there are big meanings to these stories and sometimes 
And sometimes the meanings that we ascribe to them may not be their original intent. And really, the only way to know for absolutely 100% sure is to know these stories from the original source in the original time. And while we just don't have that um, ability, I mean, we don't have time travel, um, so we don't have 100% sure that this is what this story means. I remember being in a Bible study once and we were going through the details of a particular story and we went through in really strong detail about what some of the words meant, um, names, location, um, what some of the images and metaphors were and trying to understand what this passage may have meant or may mean for us. <clears throat> and as we were doing this, someone posited and they said, have you ever thought that we might be going too far in depth on this and it might lose its meaning? And that's fair. I mean, the truth is that that's not impossible when we do Bible study. I mean, you can dissect something to the point of not recognizing it, or you focus on the wrong details. And maybe by focusing on those wrong details or dissecting too much, you miss the meaning of the story altogether. So is it possible? Yes, it's possible. And I think that's one of the dangers of trying to understand the Bible. Sometimes we might miss the point. Sometimes we also might put ourselves too much into the stories and make them say what they want to, what we want them to say for us and not necessarily what they mean to say for everyone. This is part of the danger of the Bible. So what do we do? I mean, if the Bible can be interpreted and misinterpreted, which quite frankly, it has been used and interpreted and misinterpreted, it has been, the Bible has been used to justify things that should not be justified. For example, the Bible has been used to justify treatments of slaves and of slavery. It's been used to justify um, torture and murder. It's been used to justify why particular groups of people should not be included and are not loved by God. So it has been used and abused. It has been interpreted and misinterpreted, and it's been used to justify things that shouldn't be justified. And there is incredible inspiration and truth within the, within the scriptures. It's complicated and complex. And it's important to remember to take the Bible very seriously. And I take the Bible very seriously, as, as I'm sure you do as well. And there's a point, too, of taking it too seriously or creating an idol out of it. So the Bible tells us, something about God, something about each other. It tells us the truth about who God is and, and the character of God. And so it's important that we take it seriously, but not so much that the Bible becomes our God, that God is represented in the Bible, but the Bible is not God. And so there's a fine line between taking it seriously and too seriously. So that brings us to today's story, Jesus and the fig tree. And this is another story. Like I said, several of you from our congregation have brought this to me and said, this is a story that needs to be in, uh, in this series. Um, or have brought it to me previously and are like, what does this mean? <clears throat> so 
This story about Jesus cursing the fig tree is actually found in three of the Gospels, what are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in John. Um, <clears throat> so Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a version of the story with some slight differences in there, which um, that's how Matthew, Mark, and Luke work. Um, they have slight differences to the story, but pretty much have some of the similar stories. <clears throat> so this story in particular, Jesus cursing the fig tree, um, it's sort of a bizarre story, and um, it struggles to have meaning. So the version that we have for this morning is from Mark's gospel, and Mark's gospel has this story as a part of the passion story, the story of Jesus' um, passion or um, moving towards the cross. It's, it follows the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, or what we usually celebrate on Palm Sunday, and before the cleansing of the temple, um, <clears throat> the tossing out of the robbers and, you know, all that stuff. So it's kind of in between this. And so it's sandwiched in this passion story. And um, <clears throat> it's a reaction to something. Jesus curses the fig tree, and then later in the passage explains why he did that. So here's some of the details that we may not know or may miss. Um, in scripture, people of Israel are often represented as figs on a tree. So the Israelites, the, the people of Israel are represented as figs on a tree. So that's one, one thing to keep in, in, in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is if you remember back to Genesis, um, the first book of the Bible, there's a story about um, a, a poem about creation and about um, the first humans. And there's the story about Adam and Eve. And the story goes that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life, which is what God told them not to eat from. And so as a part of that, they recognized their nakedness and shame and they put on fig leaves um, to hide their nakedness. So that makes um, figs um, or fig leaves sometimes a symbol of sin. So here's two ways that they're represented as sin and um, as the people of Israel. Now, it also says in the Gospel of Mark that the fig tree is barren. So when Jesus tries to, to get a fig from the fig tree, it's barren. Um, but then Mark also says, because it wasn't fig season. Um, other gospels have that the tree withered or um, there's, lots of, there's lots of reasons. So here are some of the questions that are fairly obvious, even in knowing those details. What does the fig tree symbolize? Does it symbolize people or does it symbolize property? Or does it symbolize actions? Is this story, is this um, cursing the fig tree about something that's happening right now or right then with Jesus? Or is it about the end times? Is Jesus making a commentary about the Jewish people and about Jewish people accepting or not accepting his leadership and messiahship? Is this a story about Jesus being hangry, hungry and angry at the same time? Do you get hangry? Now, these and more are just some of the unanswered questions from the story. So what if, what if we stare and dissect so many details of the story that we miss something or we create a story that's not there? 
Is this a story about fig trees? Blue curtains? And to be fair and to be truthful, on this passage and others in the gospel, but on this passage, there have been some pretty anti-Semitic takes on this passage, diminishing Jewish people and creating a hateful take on the story. I mean, what if the fig leaf doesn't symbolize sin? What if it's just a fig leaf? So what if, what if the story is about Jesus' emotional state? I mean, if I think about what's been going on in Jesus' life and about what's about to happen, I mean, it adds a little different layer and meaning to what's happening. I mean, think about it. If your identity has been challenged and your authority has been ignored, if your mission on earth has been undermined at every turn and your words have gone unheard, or what if your friends started to doubt you and people around you started to betray you or even just think about betraying you? What might your emotional state be? How might you take out your frustration or anger? What if all of this is happening and you just want a snack and it's not there? I mean, have you ever had those moments when you yell or curse at something that that's not what you're really upset about or at, but it's what's there? It's just the straw that breaks the camel's back. What if one interpretation of this story is that Jesus is just fed up and angry? But instead of taking it out on the people that he's really angry at, he curses the fig tree. What if he just likes blue curtains? Now, for some of you, especially those of you who asked about the story, this might be a really weak interpretation for you. And there are plenty of details in the story that may lead to other interpretations, which is true and possible. I mean, if we put together all of the possible interpretations, we might get close to what it means. And that's also what's important to remember about the Bible and about the scriptures, is that they were intended not just to be read alone, but to be read together in community. So that's what makes reading the Bible in community important. We share our thoughts and our questions together. Someone else may have an insight on it that we don't. Someone else might have a knowledge on it that we don't. I remember being, well, in, in some Bible studies that um, I'll offer interpretation on a piece of scripture and someone else will say, yeah, but what if it means this? Yeah, what if it does? It might. And somehow when we put all of our pieces and takes and interpretations together, somehow we'll understand it better. That's the faithful work of discipleship together, of doing this faith work, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures together. Because this story and others, it has a lot to tell us about our faith. Even through our questions and wonderings and misunderstandings and what does this mean? It tells us that our faith is better together. Sure, we can read the Bible on our own. Sure, we can pray on our own. And sure, we can practice our faith on our own. And 
It's better and fuller when we come together. Sometimes coming together and saying, this passage doesn't make any sense to me. And somebody else says, me either. And then somebody else says, you know, I think it means this. Or, hey, I know what this word means. It's better and fuller when we come together and we share together. When we share our own thoughts and our own stories together. So maybe that's not the interpretation of this story that you were expecting or wanting. And maybe we'll understand it better by and by as we do the work together. Thanks be to God. Amen.